The Bible says, love thy Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And what a beautiful song to end with. Speak what is true. If you have your Bibles, if you turn to the book of Luke, chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. The scripture says this, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more than all of them. For they have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to open our hearts to the truth. We ask you to open our hearts that we can be honest with you from within. And we ask you to open our word, open your word to us today that we understand it in truth. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. If you've been in any kind of Baptist church very long, uh, this little short four verses is called the widow's mite. And uh, you probably have heard a preacher preach on tithing, offering. Anybody hear that? Everybody ever? All right. I have titled today's sermon, Missing the gospel. And the question then comes is, is how do you look at this scripture and miss the gospel? If you look at scripture, by the way, I'm talking all of it, through a lens, gospel-oriented, you will see things completely different. Not that it changes, not that the truth isn't there, it's just your eyes are opened to what this is really saying. In the context of this story, we really need to remember where we are. This was spoken by Jesus on Wednesday of Passion Week, the last week of Jesus' life. This is Wednesday, he's going to die on Friday. So on Monday, he entered the city on the donkey. And remember, that, that really comes from Zechariah 9.9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on the donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. God predicted many years, that this is how Jesus would enter into Jerusalem on a donkey. Luke 19, 41 through 44 says this, 
And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Can you imagine Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey and his, his, his passion is for the people to the point that he weeps? He says, my heart shall be a house of prayer. Or, or, wait a minute, let me back up here. Would you even know, have known to this day, the things that make, uh, that make for peace? But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side, and tear down the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another, because you do not know the time of your visitation. On Tuesday, Jesus goes in and cleanses the temple for the second time in his ministry. You remember when he began his ministry, he went into the temple, he drove out the money changers, he overturned the tables, he, he said, you've turned my father's house into a house of thieves, and a, and a place for a, a den of thieves. And so he says, get out. And, and so when he's ending his ministry, he repeats that. He comes in on Tuesday and he runs them out. Now it's kind of unique that he can come into the temple on Tuesday, disrupt the Passover service, disrupt everything that they have been doing. And he comes back on Wednesday and he teaches in that very same place. This, is, this can only happen if this is God. Because listen, if anybody else would have disrupted this service, they would have been arrested. They would have been put in jail. There's, there's, there's police everywhere. There's guards everywhere. And they're protecting the service. Remember, there's a large amount of money here. It had completely become something that, that God really hadn't said it to be. So on Wednesday, he begins teaching, and he begins confronting the false religious leaders of Judaism. He is speaking to the religious leaders. He has denounced them. He will give them their last invitation. So, this verse that I just read to you, comes in the middle of a lot of other things. Uh, exegesis means that you study the scriptures to understand what is written right there, and your goal is not to add anything to it or take anything away from it. And so if you go to, to uh, um, Luke 20, verse 45, this is a scripture verses just before this, listen to what it says. And he, in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplace and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honors at the feast, who devour widows' houses 
and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. So be, before this verse happens, Jesus is talking about judgment. Now let's just jump down to verse 5. And while some were speaking of the temple, uh, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, and he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be one left stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said to them, see that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am here. And the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and trumpets, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Again, judgment. Before this verse, judgment. After this verse, judgment. If we go on, he says, nation will rise against nation. He goes on and tells about the destruction of Jerusalem. It's about judgment. And so when you come back and you look at this verse in Matthew about the widow's offering, it's really about judgment. It's not about a widow who gave her last two coins and then leaves to go die. That that's a good thing. It's that, that you, you should be sacrificially giving like this widow. Listen, does Jesus say anywhere in Scripture that he wants you to give everything that you have? If I sit here and preach to you today, if you want to please Jesus, you just need to give all the money you have to him. You'd like to hear that, wouldn't you? I mean, you're just saying you love him, you want, to take, you want to be a part of him. Well, you see, this is what the prosperity gospel is doing. You send us money and, and God will just bless you and, and you'll get ten times more than you sent. The theme is judgment. Luke gives us a small amount of what took place on this Wednesday. If you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. Here's, here's what Jesus was teaching on that Wednesday just before the writing of the widow's might. Starting in verse 13, he says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. What's the word woe mean? Stop. Danger. Judgment. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourself nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and the land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, he is bound by his oath. 
In verse 23, Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the wear manners of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Verse 25, Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup, and the place that is on the outside may be clean. Verse 27, Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you, now, now, I want you to think about something. Can you imagine going to the temple on the Passover service, ready to worship and serve God, and you got this man standing up there, and he's preaching to him, and he is just blasting them. Woe! Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe, hypocrites! Who wants to hear that when you go to church? Sometimes you just have to listen to your heart. We may be the one that's the hypocrite. We may be the one that's the scribe or the Pharisee. Verse 29, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now this is what Jesus is teaching. He is preaching to them about judgment. There had become a religious system that had become corrupt and ungodly. And, and by the way, we have them today. Thank God it's not here. Here you are believers in Jesus Christ. You trust in Jesus Christ. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is everything. And so the word of God is important then. And so then if we come back to Luke 21... Think of this now. Jesus has just preached, woe, 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 seven times. And listen, in Revelation, when the angels are flying around and say, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth for the judgments are about to come, it's not a good thing. And when Jesus is preaching, woe, 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 seven times, it's not a good thing. And so he takes a break and he sits down. Because it's, remember in, in, in 21 it says, Jesus looked up. If Jesus is looking up, he is probably sitting down. He is probably resting. And it says, Jesus looked up, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. By the way, these offering boxes would have been seven tubes, if you would like, across here. And they would represent different things. And, and you could select where you put your money, and you put your money in there. Now, whether it's used for that... We have no idea, but you get to pick what, where you want to put your money. And Jesus sees a system that had become all about money. Do we not see that happening today? There's a religious systems out here all about money. The largest Christian saying group are literally seating Tens of thousands of people every Sunday for a health and wealth message. There is health in Jesus Christ 
forever. There is wealth in Jesus Christ forever. It's not necessarily here. Some get it here. Because God has a purpose for that. And remember what I shared with you before. The lost world who's living in this world, whose who's all minds is all set on just getting wealthy, this is the best they will ever have it. I was watching news. They were talking about how the movie stars, because they haven't been able to act because of COVID, how there's so many of them in depression. They have more money than they know what to do with. They're living in, in houses that you and I could just look at and go, I, I couldn't afford to pay the electric bill here. But they're miserable. Why are they miserable? Because they have missed the one thing in life that gives you quality of life, the gospel. Woe. So, with that in mind, let's go back. To, and, and if you can grasp anything about the widow's offering, it was that she gave all. Is that what Jesus is teaching here? If you want to be spiritual, you just have to give all to the church. Is that what Jesus is really teaching? You see, when you do exegesis, you have to take this verse and you have to ask these questions. The Lord made no comment about giving except that she gave more than anybody else relative to what she had. She was not commended. They were not condemned. There is nothing about her having a right attitude or that they had a wrong attitude. And there's no principle regarding giving is drawn out here by the Lord. It doesn't say that Jesus was pleased with her gift. It doesn't say that Jesus was pleased with her attitude. It doesn't say anything about his attitude. I think, if anything, it's very possible... And here I'm going outside of the very thing I tell you I don't want to do is exegesis. But I think it's very possible that Jesus may have been very displeased with the widow. And partially, maybe even angry. And let me ask, let me, let me explain why. He has just spent three years on the earth. Miracle after miracle after miracle and teaching after teaching after teaching. He has done some of the most amazing things. And listen, everything going on in Jerusalem, there's a talk about this Jesus. He has just come off of raising Lazarus from the dead after being dead for four days. The talk in Jerusalem is about this Jesus. This Jesus has just been preaching and teaching in the temple saying, Whoa! And, and, and notice right up here in verse 45, or uh, verse 47 of, of uh, 20. Let me just read the whole thing again. 45, starting on verse, chapter 20, verse 45. And in hearing of all the people, we said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, who love greetings in the marketplace, and the best seats in the synagogue in a place of honor and feast. Listen, 
who devour widows' houses. Do you know what the thought was with the Pharisees and the scribes? The thought was, is if you were a widow, God had cursed you. Because he, he, he made you be alone. And, and the scribes and the Pharisees thought it was their place to, to do God's work and make your life miserable because if they could take your house, they were making money. And that's what they were doing. The very thing that Jesus taught against. He has taught us to take care of widows and to take care of orphans. But this group, this religious group, in the name of God, was taking widows' houses for gain. They didn't care. Now this, this widow, she has to have heard about this Jesus. He has just been speaking. He's in the same room she's in. He looks up and he sees her. What does he see? He sees a widow putting in her last two coins and going home to die. Jesus is in the room. Can you imagine the difference in her life if she would have walked over to Jesus and simply said, Jesus, have mercy on me? What would he have done? He would have saved her. Not from her life of being a widow and being poor and getting ready to die, but for her eternal destination. It is very possible that this woman, this widow, gave her money, left, went out and died, and is going to spend eternity separated because she put her faith in something that couldn't save her. She missed the gospel. It was right there. Same room, same place. So as we look at the context before and after, we know that this is all about condemnation of the wicked spiritual leaders and a corrupt religious system. We looked at Matthew, seeing the seven woes. After all these years of the things that Jesus has been doing, he's coming into Jerusalem on a donkey and he's weeping because the people have rejected him. He comes in on Monday and it's Hosanna. And on Friday it's crucifying. What changes so fast? What can lead you from being excited about something to being absolutely furious about something? In Mark 12... He tells the same story in, in verse 41. It says, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. 
And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they contributed out of the abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put into everything she's had to live on. Remember right up here? The scribes and the Pharisees do it to devour the widow's homes. Church, we have a responsibility. We take care of widows. We take care of orphans. And by the way, it doesn't matter if they're lost or saved. They're widows. They need help. They're weak. They're vulnerable. And listen, think about this, because this is happening today. How many widows are at home alone without a spiritual guidance from a husband or a son or a daughter and she's literally giving thousands of dollars away every year to a false religious system trying to buy some peace and hope in her life. It is real. How do I know it's real? Because it happened to my mom. When my mom went into the hospital six days before she died... Um, there's a pastor comes in. I didn't know him. I didn't know anything about him. But here's what happened. When he left, I asked my mom, I said, who is that? She told me his name. I didn't know his name. So I, I, I'm inquiring about it to her, but she wouldn't really give me very much information. So I started doing research. You know what I found out? This is a pastor who is supporting his church by gambling. You know what I found out? My mom had a gambling problem. How did I find that out? Because after she died, I was the executor of her estate. After she died, I, I was able to go back and look at her check statements and her books. And you know what I found? This church, hundreds of dollars, sometimes twice a week, over and over and over again. A church funding its life by gambling. And I, just, I, I got mad and I just started writing down how much money my mom was spending at this place. And listen, when it got to the amount of money that it would have, my two daughters could have went to Cedarville University and been paid for for free, I put it aside because I was just too mad. <laughs> now, I understand that my mom truly accepted Jesus Christ. But what I did find out later is that my mom had a gambling problem. And I didn't know it. You know why I didn't know it? Because my dad left her very well off. She was in no need of anything financially. And so she wasn't in need of something financially. And she just dwindled away hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands and into the hundreds of thousands of dollars to a false religious system in the name of entertainment. Had I known that beforehand, I would have looked at life and done life a little bit different. And so what I'm saying to you is there's people that you may know who are actually involved in supporting this health and wealth gospel out here that leads nowhere. 
They're missing the gospel. The widow came into the room and she missed the gospel. The gospel was right beside her. So I've titled the sermon, Missing Jesus. Missing the gospel. Now think about it. What is the gospel? There are going to be some people who come up to you and they're going to ask you, what is the gospel? You ought to be glad they asked, but you ought to have an answer. Scripture says be ready to give an answer for what you believe, right? And so the gospel is actually, this whole book is the gospel. It's the word of God that he's given to us. That's the gospel. And the gospel is pertained to the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel because in him there's hope. In him there's life. You see this four verses that many pastors have used to, and I would literally say badger the church into giving more money, is not a godly way at all. God says, give accordingly to how you've been blessed. You get to decide. It's not for me to badger you. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus says that if you fall in love with me, you obey me. There's nothing greater on this earth than falling in love with Jesus Christ. This is Valentine's Day. We're talking about love, but listen, the greatest love out there was God who gave his life for you, on a cross for you, died for you, took all your sin debt with him to the grave, and rose again so that you're not held accountable to that sin if you accept him as your Lord and Savior. This widow, as poor and sad as it was, missed the gospel. In the same room with Jesus. Put her money in. And just left. Put her money in. And just left. And I have to ask myself. How many people who know about Christ and will be in church but will miss him. By the way, you don't have to be a lost person to miss him. You can be a distracted believer and miss him. Missing the gospel. For those of us who haven't missed the gospel, we all have a testimony. By the way, your your personal testimony is not the gospel. It's the results of the gospel. I can share with you how I was saved, what happened when I was saved, how my life changed when I was saved, but none of that is the gospel, and it's different for each one of us. But the gospel is the word of God pertaining to salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, who took our place. 
Now, I understand the widow uh, in the temple, she was doing what she knew. But what she knew led her the wrong way. And so church, it's our goal, and it's our hope, and it's our life to live the gospel. Uh, there's, a, there's an old song, Patty, that we used to sing called, They Will Know We Are Christians By Our Love. You remember that song? They will know we are Christians. And it's kind of, to me, uh, it, to me, it was like the first hip song in the hymnals. Because it had a beat to it. They will know we are Christians by our love. Listen, that love has to first start with your love for Jesus Christ. And then that love is stretched out to your neighbors. And so church, there's a lot of people today missing the gospel. I'm not saying it's all our fault. I'm just saying we have a responsibility to share it, live it when we can. Be ready to give an answer for what you believe and why you believe it. What's, what's at stake? His honor and his glory. Because when someone gets saved, it's all about him. It's all about his spirit. We were, uh, Ron and I were just talking for the service and we were talking about the unpardonable sin. The blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is the only, only, only unpardonable sin in the world. All other sin is pardonable. But the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, let me put that in a little bit English terms that you and I normally speak, is rejecting the Holy Spirit who it is his job to draw you to the truth in this book. And the book says, repent and be saved. And the repentance is not you changing your actions. Remember, before you're saved, you're dead in your trespasses and, and sins, and you, you, you're dead. You can't do anything. Only God can quicken the life by belief in his work of his son on the cross. And so, believe, repent, has nothing to do with you changing your actions, has everything to do with changing your mind about a need for a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. It is one door, one way, one gate. Our world doesn't like that. But the sad thing is, is our world didn't get to choose that or pick that or put that into play. God did. That's why this whole book is the gospel. From beginning to end, it's about the gospel. The good news. What's the good news? God wrote it to you, gave it to you. Jesus followed through with living a perfect life, dying on the cross in our place, being buried and stayed in the tomb for three days, and then rose out of the tomb, 40 days later, ascended to heaven, sits on the right hand of God right now, who is what? What does he do for us? He's our intercessor. You can't have a better lawyer in court than Jesus Christ. Amen. By the way, 
It is God who has made his son the king and judge of everything. There's no greater place than being on his side. Being chosen by him. And I understand. There are so many people that this widow's story could be written out that it would be like them too. But the reality is, is this story was not about an offering. This story was about a false religious system who was abusing widows. And we can't be a part of that. We will not be a part of that. And we got to be about, listen, we can minister to widows, we can minister to the homeless, we can minister to those who are in need, but you have to do it with a purpose, and the purpose has to be the gospel. Apart from the gospel, you're just giving short-term relief. You're like giving aspirin to someone who has a headache. And if it's a migraine, it's not much help. Church, we have the greatest opportunity ever in time. We have God on our side. We're on his side. He has a mission. You have a mission. And that is to be the gospel in front of the world today. Remember I told you last week, I'm not, um, I, I'm, not, I'm not about denominations. I'm really not about traditions. Tradition, this story is about, about tithing. I don't see that. When the beginning is judgment, what after it is judgment, and, and, and it's about judgment on widows. It's about judgment. But here's what I am. I'm a biblicist because I believe the, God, the word of God is perfect, inerrant, and is profitable to those who believe. The Bible says the word of God is a power and salvation to those who believe. You see, we have to help them believe this message before they can move from being dead to God quickening them back to life and then the change takes place. It, it, it works backwards. If you try to get the change to take place before the heart is changed, it doesn't stay. It fixes it just for a short term. That's why James said there's so many who have walked away. Why did they walk away? They were truly never ever really saved. They wanted something short term. Listen, Jesus Christ is Lord of your life and my life. He's head of the church. By the way, we're sometimes guilty of saying, I want you to come to grace my church. This isn't your church. This is his church. This is the church you attend. Come and visit my Savior. What a better offering. Grace, this is a building. Where's God? In each believer's heart, sitting in the chairs. The gospel. It's my goal with the people that I meet that if they choose to miss the gospel, I'm okay with that, but I will share the gospel so that they get to choose, right? I can't choose for them. 
But I want them to understand the truth. Because I, I've run into so many people who say, I just have to fix my life. My life is a mess right now, and there's just no way God would want me. And by the way, that would have been this guy. Back in 1980. I wasn't the guy that was looking for the Lord. What was weird is the Lord was inviting me. And then when I, I took that step of just trying to appease some friends, he spoke to my heart. And what changed was my heart changed, which then changed my actions. You see, we can't get it reversed. We can't tell somebody, you got to straighten your life up, repent of your sins. That is a terrible concept when it comes to salvation. you got to repent of your sins. They're dead. What do they know about repenting of their sins? They can't even grasp that. Until the Lord quickens them and gives them life, and then all of a sudden they understand their sin. And life changes. That's what I see. Life changes after salvation, not before. And what I see is a church that needs to be about the gospel. I've shared with Glenn and a few of the deacons, if I had a theme for grace in the year of 2021, it would be this. Exalt the name of Jesus Christ. That would be my theme. Everything we do needs to be about exalting the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, if I be exalted, I will draw all men unto myself. You want this church to grow? You exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You live according to how Jesus Christ has called you to live. You worship how God has set out a plan for you to worship. And you live in the world as a believer and not as the world. Don't miss the gospel. Greatest news I ever heard. Changed me to the point of this radical, druggy, drinker, running bars. To one day, surrendering to preaching. You want to go back and, and see some of my old school friends and see, what do you do today? Well... My number one job is I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what I tell them. I get the privilege to preach. I get the privilege to teach. I get the privilege to witness. But I'm just a disciple for Jesus Christ. Changed my life. It's amazing what God will do if you'll do it God's way. Let's pray. Father, we pause this morning to thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy, to thank you for your word, to just thank you for everything that you have done and everything that you're going to do. We exalt the name of Jesus above all names because there's no other names under the heavens that one can be saved except him. And so, Lord, we ask you to forgive us for the times that we're just too busy we're just too tired. We've got other plans. Lord, help us to allow you to be 
and Lord of our life. Help us to see you as the most important thing in our lives. And Lord, when we do that, everything else in our life becomes important. The relationships with our wives and our husbands change because we love you, and by loving you, we love them in a greater way. We love our neighbor in a different way because we love you. Lord, we love our bosses and our jobs because you love us. Lord, we want our businesses to excel and to be prosperous because it's you. Lord, we want our witnessing about you. And Lord, as long as we live here, we want to take care of widows and we want to help orphans. And so, Father, uh, move on our hearts. Help us to line up with your word and your way. And Lord, as I've shared with the church, I really believe that exalting the name of Jesus Christ as a body of believers is the greatest thing we can do on this earth because we love you and you first loved us. We give you thanks and praise in the name of Jesus. We're going to sing an offertory hymn. That offertory hymn is for you.